Jesus truly is our living hope. And so we are ending this tension series on what I think is the climax, one of the big tensions in our belief system. And it is the God who wins as he loses. So open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Yes, get off of the couch, walk over to your bookcase. There's probably a Bible sitting there. Pull it off. Yes, we're going to open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read 15, we're going to read 18 to 25. But here is the big idea of the morning. It is this radical idea that God exalts Jesus by humiliating him. And it's this, this radical paradox that actually God exalts Jesus by sending him to the cross. And because of that humiliation, because of what took place there, we actually get to experience the life as it was meant to be. So here's 1 Corinthians 15, or 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. Here is what Paul says. He says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of it? Says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? This cross is so complex in how it makes sense that we're going to look at a few ideas of the folly that exists in the word of the cross. Paul goes on, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And that word of the cross, that very message of Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I think there's three ideas that we're gonna try and unpack in this tension, in this paradox of the cross. And it starts in this way for me. We actually believe a single event changed the course of human history, that all of human history was pointing to this event and everything after finds its life and its anchor in that event. And this single event, the brutality of this single event was actually the ultimate act of love. And this single event, this exclusive single event is the only way for forgiveness, rescue, and hope. So, so here we go, jumping into those three ideas as we confront the paradox of the cross. Here's the first one. There's a single event that changes everything. And, and I think the question that I'm struck with is, why do Christians make such a big deal of the cross? Like, th this was a, a normal way that people were, were, were crucifixion was, was a normal activity as a form of pun punishment. This, this Jewish guy that lived in the first century there's a lot of other people that lived on the planet. What is so significant? Why do these Christians make such a deal about the cross? And, and for me, I don't know if you remember this movie, Indiana Jones. He's sitting there and he has this weight and he's trying to put it in place of this other, uh, this other relic. And it has to be the exact weight, it has to be the exact size, it has to be perfect in order to substitute for this relic. And 
like every ride, if you've been to Disneyland or Disney World, you see the boulder come after you uh, because Indiana Jones doesn't have the right weight and he takes off and is, uh, is running as this place is collapsing around him. What we believe about Jesus seen is that God actually uses the tiny details of the Old Testament of history to point to this riddle that's, that came in Jesus going to the cross. That this has been an event foretold all the way back to Genesis 3. This, this is something that has incredible specificity and that has been building over the centuries. And I love the way the author of Hebrews talks about the specificity of the cross. The author of Hebrews says this, For since the law has but, has but a shadow of the good things come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. These sacrifices that were done year after year after year were pointing to something special. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in their sacrifices... There is a reminder of sins year after year, every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then he develops it a little bit more in verses 11 to 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ is offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single sacrifice, the particularity that has been building for centuries in this single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The paradox of the cross is this event is everything that history built to, and everything that history looks back upon. It is this incredible moment in time. And I think the second paradox that exists in this, uh, in, in the cross, is this. That, that Jesus was our substitute. And, and, and millions of people have found life in this idea that Jesus was our substitute. But there's this idea that, that, that gets confronted when we talk about that. That it leads to another paradox. How can a loving God through this loving act, simultaneously set a plan to kill his son. That, that we long for the beauty of the cross, and yet in that paradox, another paradox is revealed. That in God's loving act, he also sets a plan to kill his son. How's that work? How can the love of God and the brutality of the cross make sense? And, and sometimes it feels like in our culture, we diminish the brutality, right? I mean, we have cross necklaces. We carry around a cross on our bracelet. We have t-shirts that have a big cross on them. You know, maybe sometimes even when we're expecting a baby, we put a little cross on the, on the little uh, bib or whatever the thing's called. Bags that we carry around in the supermarket, pins that we wear proudly. We've missed the brutality of what this symbol actually represents. And so we're confronted with this, this tension that I think gets epitomized in this quote from Joanne Brown and Carol Bond in this, in this book called Christianity, Patriarchy, and Abuse. They say this, Christianity is an abusive theology that glorifies suffering. Is it any wonder then that there's so much abuse in modern Western society when the predominant image of the main religion of the culture is the divine child abuse? 
God the Father demanding and carrying out the suffering and death of his own son on the cross. If Christianity is going to be liberating for the oppressed, it must itself be liberated from this theology. And I think we're confronted by this tension of the brutality of the cross and the love of God. How do we solve that? And for me, I think there's three perspectives that, that help resolve this tension of God's love and the brutality of the cross, and it lies in our view of who Jesus actually is. I think an accurate picture of what our brokenness and our sin looks like and a sense of justice. We've seen justice over this tension series a few times. So first, I just want to look at our view of Jesus that when we wrestle with this conflict of God bruising his son, how do we reconcile that? Was Jesus this victim that just happened to have all this stuff happen to him? I think his words in John give us a different picture of how Jesus is stepping in to this, uh, uh, into this reality. John says this, For this reason the Father loves me. This is Jesus. Jesus speaking in to what's about to take place in the future. He knows where he's going. This isn't surprising him. He's not caught off guard. Jesus isn't a victim of abuse. Instead, laying down his life willingly. Here's what he says. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. That if we have an accurate picture of who Jesus is, he's actually on a mission, not a victim. He's actually stepping into a reality on his own accord, under his own will. I think second, another perspective that helps us get a sense of the brutality of the cross and God's loving act is a recognition of what's going on in our own lives a recognition of the limits of our own ability. Here's what Paul tells us in Romans. And, and in this series, you guys have noticed, we've done a lot more theological ideas rather than pressing in a specific text. So if any of these texts strike you, hear me say, I would love to have a follow-up conversation. Anyone on staff would love to have a follow-up conversation. We love digging into this thing. Here's what Paul tells us in Romans 3. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. What's sin? Not just the bad stuff we do, not just the checklist of stuff that happens in our life, but at our very core, who's sitting on the throne of our hearts? And when I get a sense of my inability to consistently pursue God above anything, consistently, I'm wrecked. That there's a lot of brokenness that still exists in my life. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And I love this quote from an old Russian author because it helps capture what I think Paul's saying. Because we look at our lives and go, I, I do a couple good things from time to time, don't I? But again, we keep asking, who sits on the throne of our hearts? Alexander, who wrote the Gulag Archipelago, says this, if only it were so simple. If we could just get rid of the bad people, keep the good people, wouldn't that be a wonderful world to live in? He says this, if only it were all so simple. 
If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. The brutality of the cross met with God's loving act speaks to the character of who Jesus is and it speaks to, to the depth of our own depravity and brokenness and an inability to be as good as we long to be. And then third, that sense of justice. That, that we look around and, and we see pain, we see hurt, and, and we long for that to be restored, reconciled, uh, retribution occurred, our sense of justice. Colossians 2 says this, so how do we understand the brutality of the cross? I love this word. And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all according to our trespasses. By what? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them all to open shame by triumphing over them. That Jesus wasn't some victim. <laughs> that, that he wasn't just somehow... Uh, having circumstances happening to him. Instead, his loss was actually the win. <laughs> that his loss actually conquered and disarmed death, canceling our debts. Not just collecting on them, but actually canceling them and disarming evil. In the loss of the cross, it was actually the greatest win of all time. And there's one more tension then that feels like is embedded in this paradox of the cross. That not only is it an event that changes everything from some Jewish village 2,000 years ago with a man that experienced other things that other people had experienced, but there was something different about that. That event changed everything. And it was the ultimate act of love despite the brutality. And this single event, it's the only hope. It's the only way of forgiveness, rescue, and hope. And sometimes that's hard for us to hear because it sounds like there's so many other good options out there. It feels like, is God somehow narrow-minded and bigoted that he doesn't see the good in all the other options that exist? Here's what John tells us about Jesus being the way. Sorry, here we go. Again, is God somehow narrow-minded? Does he not see the value? Here's what John tells us, right? He says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And it's one of the greatest I am statements that Jesus says. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And I love this. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know. Where are you going? How can we know the way? And Jesus begins speaking about himself and the exclusivity of who he is. He says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's this exclusivity of Jesus. And, and is God somehow narrow-minded and bigoted to eliminate all other options? Jesus says this in Luke 22, and it strikes me to see the value of this exclusivity. Jesus praying in the garden to his Father if you are willing, remove this cup from me. If there's any other option than this one, if 
there's any other way that we can reconcile man and accomplish this mission that I have, I want to have it. What is the cup he's talking about being removed? I think it's this. Because there's been martyrs in history, right? That seem to have experienced more torture than what Jesus experienced on the cross. So what is Jesus talking about that is so heavy that he wants removed? I think it goes beyond just the physical and emotional pain. I actually think the complexity and the weight he's talking about is the spiritual pain that he's going to carry, the death physically, spiritually is getting, is, is the, the spiritual death taking on these sins. And, and then a big deal here for me, received our righteous punishment. That we saw that debt needed to be collected. The big Bible word, propitiation. That we actually believe there's a God who demands justice to be appeased and there was a weight that was put upon him. So if there was another way why would Jesus have to endure this weight? Instead, what we see is, this isn't, this isn't a victim. But Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That the paradox of the cross brings us to the place where God wins as he loses that the apparent loss is actually the greatest victory in human history and what we bank our lives on. And so here's my takeaways as we conclude this service. Here's my hope. If you're sitting here and you've been listening to our services and you've never trusted in Jesus, here's our hope. We just feel like we're a bunch of beggars. We found life with Jesus and we just want to find our significance and our satisfaction in him. If that's not true for you, we would love to have conversations. There's a prayer bar. You can, you can private chat the host and we would love to have a conversation about what it looks like to find your significance and value in Jesus and treasuring him. But for some of us, we're still carrying guilt and shame not feeling the full weight of what took place on that cross and the paradox of what's taking place. Here's my encouragement. Ponder Jesus and celebrate him already taking it and being the greatest win. That this cross was the greatest victory. If you're still carrying that guilt and shame, do we believe that it was actually accomplished once and for all the exclusivity and the particularity that this event changed human history. But some of us feel like I'm still trying to earn it. That I'm not embracing as fully what it means and I'm still trying to earn God's approval through my actions. That I should on people. That I should do this and I should do that because I'm not embracing the true reality of God, God winning through the radical, radical paradox of the cross. And so, my hope, we embrace more fully this single event changing the course of human history. And we talked about it last week, I think comes to a culmination here at the cross. Do we believe that even as we battle against some of these things in life, that we actually focus on the power of Jesus' life and death? Two more ideas. And here's my encouragement. COVID, it's been, it's been a wild ride. 
You heard some of our family business that we're looking forward to what the next steps are going to be. We're heading into our vision series in the fall. My encouragement, though, church is more than a building. Church is more than just an event. My hope is that you are living life and following Jesus Monday to Saturday. Begin each morning contemplating the significance of Jesus' singular event. Those three paradoxes of the cross. The brutality of it, the exclusivity of it, and the and uniqueness of this one event impacting all of human history. But sometimes if we become so insulated, you might be sitting going, David, I've heard those stories. Those don't wreck me. My encouragement, find someone this week that is yet to be confronted or wrestle with those tensions of the cross. Initiate at least one. Don't limit it. Don't limit it. Just because I said one, don't limit it if you want more than that. But initiate at least one conversation about Jesus with someone who is still wrestling with the tension of the God who wins as he loses. Believing that, again, this, this is a tension that changes our lives. So pray with me as, uh, as we enter into worship before we're sent back out. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, the paradox of the cross. May we be confronted a little bit more fully about the nature of just how that works. That I can't fully wrap my head around this one event that everything in history pointed to. And you drop details along the path for us to see. And I may be confronted by the brutality of what took place on that cross. Or I might need to be reminded of the brutality so that I can more fully appreciate the act and the ultimate act of God's love. Or be confronted more fully by the exclusivity of this message. Help us wrestle with that tension a little more fully as we talk to those around us. Thank you, Jesus, because your, your loss was truly the win.